So you forgot to check in on time, and so you got assigned B-27 on your upcoming Southwest flight, and you knew what this would mean. You knew that as soon as you got in that B line with 27 right there, that you were inevitably going to walk on the Southwest flight, and every aisle seat and every window seat would be taken, and everyone who is sitting in either the aisle seat or the aisle, the aisle seat or the window seat, when you get on the plane, would not look at you. <laughs> and they would be in steadfast prayer. And it would sound like this. Dear God, please don't let them sit next to me. Dear God, please don't let them sit next to me. And so you get on the plane and sure enough, the whole plane's in prayer. <laughs> and no one has looked at you. And so you do what you have to do. You finally say, okay, I'm a quarter of the way through the plane. I got to end this at some point. I might as well sit here. So you said, excuse me, I'm going to take that seat, that middle seat. And the two people break prayer immediately and look at you. And they, they turn into angels. They say, oh, okay, you can sit here. <laughs> so you put your stuff up and you sit right down. And these people who would not even look at you a moment before now look at you and they're somehow interested in why you're going to L.A. The person says to you, so what brings you to L.A.? And you say, well, uh, my, my niece or my nephew is getting baptized this weekend. And they say, what's a baptism? And you say, uh, well, I'm a Christian and uh, baptisms are a ritual in our, in our faith of showing God's love and claim on someone's life. And your seatmate, who had not even looked at you, then looks at you and says, wait, you're a Christian? Why? Why in 2019 are you a Christian? How would you answer them? Not how would I answer for you? That's a different question. <laughs> totally different thing. How would you answer that question? Adam Hamilton uh, is the pastor of the largest uh, United Methodist Church in the country. That, that church is uh, in a suburb of Kansas City. It, it's actually not too far where our own uh, Sarah R. grew up from. And uh, Adam Hamilton says that there are three questions that every Christian, every Christian should be able to answer. The first is, why do you need Jesus? Why does a person need Jesus? Now, the second one is this. Why does a person need a church? And the third one is this. Why does a person need your church? Why does a person need Preston Hollow Presbyterian Church? Um, I don't know about you, but I think often as people of faith, we can tell you what we do. We worship. We serve. We do Bible studies, we care, we deliver flowers, we play music, we sing music. We can even tell you when we do those things. Sunday mornings, we're now on the fall schedule, I think, 8, 15, 9, 30, 11, and 5. We have Bible studies on Wednesdays and Tuesdays and Thursdays. Oh, you can serve anytime you want to. Sign up and send an email and you can deliver flowers. We know what we do, we know when we do them, and as Presbyterians... We certainly know how we do them. We have a manual on that. Some committee somewhere wrote it. 
but do we know why we do any of these things? I mean, do we know why we worship and do we know why we serve and do we know why we care? Do we know why we need Jesus? Or why a person would need a church in 2019? You can get anything you want on Amazon. Why do you need a church? And why in the world in 2019 does a person need in Dallas, Texas, Preston Hollow Presbyterian Church? These are good questions. I think these are the better question. And yet, I think these are hard questions. And this fall, these are the questions that are going to guide us for the next eight weeks as we dive into the deep end of faith. And I want to warn you right now at the outset, these series of sermons are going to be very autobiographical. These sermons are going to be really personal. I'm going to share some stories about my life and my faith, and I'm going to share with you how I would answer why for me. But the goal for this series is not for you to take, to take my why, to take it right off the hanger and wear it around for you. No, my goal is that these sermons will prompt you to think about how you would answer these questions for yourself. I want to invite you to think about your own story. I want you to think about your own faith. I want you to think about your struggles, your struggles at work, your struggles in life, your struggles, yeah, even with the church, your struggles with God. I want you to take this series on for yourself. And it seems to me as we uh, take on these questions, there really is only one place to start. And we got to start with why Jesus? I mean, why be a Christian today in 2019? Why have you continued to follow Jesus for the last 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70? Have I gotten everybody in the room now? 80 years? Why have you not outgrown this? And it seems the rest of the world has. Why do you follow Jesus? In order for us to answer that question... We have to pray. So let us pray. Hover here. Hover here just as you hovered over the waters of creation, O oh God. Remind us that you hover in this very sanctuary to create a fresh and anew this day. So breathe new life into these ancient words and to the words of my mouth and to the meditations of all of our hearts, that all would be acceptable and pleasing to you, O God. For you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. It was the summer of my sophomore year of high school. We were right in the middle of what we used to call way back then, two-a-days. Some of you may remember what two-a-days are. That used to be football practice when you would have two practices in one day. We had just finished the second practice of the day. It was the middle of August in South Carolina. It was hot. It was muggy. I was exhausted. And if I'm 
being really honest, I was like right on that line of teetering between vomiting and not vomiting. You know what I mean? Ever been there? When this guy on the football team, we called him Big Red. And we called him Big Red for a whole host of reasons. But the first reason was because he always chewed Big Red gum. And you could smell him from a mile away. Big Red was straight out of central casting. He was a giant of a human being. He played offensive tackle for us. Big Red drove the silver pickup truck. He always wore the straw cowboy cap. And Big Red loved, more than knocking the life out of people, he loved to hunt and fish. And to top it all off, Big Red's daddy, that's how he would say it, daddy, was a Pentecostal holiness preacher out in the country. We had just finished football practice. I was right on the line between vomiting and not vomiting. Uh, shoulder helmet off, right through the middle of the shoulder pads, carrying them like a suitcase. Big Red comes up to me, looks down upon me. He's a giant of a human being. And he says, so Ruffner, you have Big Red? You're a Christian, aren't you? Yeah, Big Red, I'm a Christian. I mean, I'm a Presbyterian. <laughs> Apparently, Big Red did not know what that meant. Because this is what he says. Glad to hear it. So when were you saved? I mean, if, you, if you're a Christian, Ruffner, you've got to have a story of when you were saved. So when, when were you saved? I froze. I didn't know how to answer it. I didn't know how to answer Big Red, and I got to tell you, I was feeling a little uncomfortable with him standing over me. I was feeling a little panicked, and so I did the only thing that I knew to do to get me out of this conversation immediately. I said, yeah, Big Red, I told you I'm a Presbyterian, man. Um, are you going fishing today? And he goes, of course I'm going fishing. Did I tell you about the fish that I caught yesterday? And I said, no, tell me all about it. That question saved me. It saved me. I didn't have to talk to Big Red about when I was saved. Looking back on, on that instant, I got to tell you, my question to him just drips in irony now that I'm a pastor. The truth is, I didn't know how to answer him. The truth is, uh, there was never a moment in my life that I didn't know that I was loved by God. There was never a moment in my life where I didn't know that I belonged to God. And that was because of folks like you. You made sure that I knew from the day I was born that God loved me, that God claimed me, and that I belonged to God. You just happened to look like my home church, First Presbyterian Church in Aiken, South Carolina. I belonged to God, so I sang in the children's choir. I didn't sing well. <laughs> So I only sang for two weeks. <laughs> I belonged in love and was loved by God. So I was an acolyte for a whole month. I sat right in the front pew, but I couldn't sit still. And so I had my little uh, water gun that I would pretend to shoot the candles out on the table. But they still love me. I still belong to God. And so I joined the youth group. I've always known that I was loved by God, that I belonged to God. 
Would that have satisfied Big Red? I don't know. I mean, I do know that uh, faith took on flesh in my life when I was in high school. When I was 15, I got on a bus to a place called Montreat. I had never even heard of it. It was there in the hills of Western North Carolina that I came to, go, to know God in a, in a personal way, in a, in a deep way, in an intimate way. It was the first time in my life I was challenged in my faith. That experience caused faith to take on life in my daily life. Reading the Bible and praying and going to Bible studies and going to youth group where I was nurtured by ministers and youth directors and people just like you. Would that have answered Big Red? I don't know. I mean, I'm clear on why I became a Christian. I'm crystal clear on that. I became a Christian because I grew up in the United States of America in the 1990s. Okay, I grew up in the United States of America in South Carolina in the early 1990s. That's what you did. That's what you did. And I'm clear on why I became a Christian. I had parents who showed me the love of Christ, who took me to a church just like this, where good people like you showed me the love of Christ. Would that have satisfied Big Red's question? I don't know. But I do know this. I didn't become a Christian to uh, stay on God's good side. I didn't become a Christian um, because eternal life was like a primary motivator for me. I didn't do it because someone sat me down and promised me prosperity if I would just give my life to Christ and follow this book as a rule book for my whole life. No, I became a Christian and grew in faith because... As Augustine said, our hearts grow restless until they find rest in thee. My heart found its rest, its life, its identity in Jesus. That's why I became a Christian. But that doesn't answer the question that is before us, does it? The question before us is, why am I still a Christian at 36 years old. Did I not get the memo that youth group ends at some point and so this is actually an opt-in instead of an opt-out? Am I the only one left who's still following Jesus? And why am I following Jesus in 2019 when we are confronted with the headlines that we're confronted with every single day? Jesus, really? Here's the uh, deal. The reality is, if you go to church in America today, you are in the minority. The culture no longer requires this of us. The culture no longer demands that when you get the job transfer to Dallas, Texas, from wherever you came from, that you ask your boss where he or she happens to go to church, and then you drive on over, find when the new member class is, sign up and join the church. The culture no longer demands that of you. You're aware of that, right? 
So why Jesus for you? Why Jesus for you in 2019? That answer, my answer for me, is bound in our scripture text today. And I want us all, uh, I know that this isn't always our practice, but I'm going to invite everybody. There's a blue book in front of you or right underneath you. It's called the Bible, and we're going to turn. We're going to turn to the Gospel of Mark, okay? And as you're turning uh, to the Gospel of Mark, I got to give you some context to our passage. You will notice in the Gospels all the time that these words appear. And Jesus and the disciples got in the boat and they went to the other side. Jesus and the disciples got in a boat and they went to the other side. This is what I need to, this is what I need you to hear. Every time we read in the Gospels that Jesus and the disciples get in a boat and go to the other side, you need to hear Jesus and the disciples got in their car and drove to the other side of town. Jesus and the disciples got in their car and drove to the other side of the tracks. It is one thing to get in your car and to drive to the other side of the tracks. It's an entirely different thing to get out of your car once you're there. It's an entirely different thing to put your feet on the ground on the other side. So Jesus and the disciples have gotten in a boat and they went to the other side. And when they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes, and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately a man out of the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. The man lived among the tombs, and no one could restrain him anymore, even with a chain, for he had often been restrained with shackles and chains, but the chains he wrenched apart and the shackles he broke in pieces, and no one had the strength to subdue him. Apparently not even himself. So night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, this man was always howling and bruising himself with stones. When this man saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and bowed down before him, and he shouted at the top of his voice, What do you have to do with me, Jesus? Son of God, the Most High, I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Then Jesus asked him, Hey, uh, bud, what's your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now there on the hillside, a great herd of swine was feeding, and the unclean spirits begged him, send us into the swine, let us enter there. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the swine. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. Swineherds ran off and told it in the city and in the country. The people, people came to see what it was that had happened. The people came to Jesus and they saw the demoniac sitting there. He was clothed. He was in his right mind. The very man who had the legion and they were afraid. 
Those who had seen what had happened to the demoniac and to the swine reported it. Then they began to beg Jesus to leave their neighborhood. Apparently, Jesus has broken some HOA rule. (laughs) Jesus was getting into the boat. And that man, who had been possessed by demons, begged him that he might be with him. But Jesus refused and said to him, Go home to your friends. Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and what mercy he has shown you. And the man went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's be crystal clear about something. Anytime Jesus gets in a boat and goes to the other side, he's crossing from one side of the tracks to the other. Let's be abundantly clear in our passage today. When they get in the boat and they go to the other side, they are no longer now in the land of God's covenant chosen people. Let's be abundantly clear this morning that when they land in Decapolis, do you know where they are? They are squarely, squarely in Gentile land. And just for a refresher, let's remember that Gentiles are people who are outside the covenant, people who are outside those who are included. They are deemed unclean people. So Jesus and the disciples get in a boat and they go to the land of the unclean. And what is their first stop when they enter the land of the unclean? You can tell me this is not TV. I can see you. Where's their first stop? Graveyard, thank you, in the choir. (laughs) The tombs, the graveyard. And let's be clear about something. What happens in tombs? You take dead bodies there, right? And what do dead bodies do in tombs? They decay. They're usually uh, set outside of town, so the smell of the decaying bodies doesn't really waft into town. Let's be clear about something. The tombs are ritually unclean places. So Jesus and the disciples have gone to the land of the unclean, and their first stop is like one of the most unclean spaces in the land of the unclean. And who do they find there? You're nervous. You're like, does he want me to say or does he not want me to say? You can go ahead and say. A man. And what is the man wearing? Nothing. Not a trick question. He's naked. Which is, makes him unclean. And not only is this man unclean, we read in the text that this man every single day self-harms. He picks up stones. The text told us this. It's right there in the Bible. Picks up stones and he beats himself with them. Now, I'm going to tell you, I've never picked up a stone and beaten myself with it, but I have hit my thumb with a hammer one time. (laughs) I'm going to make some generous assumptions about what it's like to hit yourself with a rock. That man's bruised. He's probably still bleeding because the scabs haven't healed all the way. And do you know what that makes this naked man? If you have open wounds walking around, that makes you ritually unclean. 
So Jesus goes in a boat to the other side, to the land of the unclean. He goes to the tombs, which is the other side of the land of the unclean. He finds a man who is naked, which is unclean. And then this man is bloody and bruised, which makes him unclean. Jesus has found the most unclean of the unclean of the unclean of the unclean. And to top it all off, who are this man's neighbors? 2,000 swine, which as a refresher, swine, pigs, are ritually unclean animals. What must it have felt like to be that man? I don't know about you, but it's really easy for me to want to read this text and insert someone else in my brain, like the guy that I see downtown hanging out over by the stew pot. I read this text and I think, oh, this text is about him. Is it? What must it have felt like to be this man? Can you imagine what he was feeling when Jesus walked up? This man is uh, the most shunned individual in the land of the unclean. He is the most ostracized person in the land of the unclean. He is the most isolated person in the land of the unclean. Can you imagine, can you imagine just for a second that that man probably felt like he was the only one who suffered in this way? Don't you know that that man felt like he was alone? That there was nobody in the world for him? Don't you know that this guy felt like he was bound to this way of life for the rest of his life? This man must because uh, Jesus comes up to him and he says, hey man, uh, what's your name? And he says, my name, my name is Legion. And I, let's be clear, that's actually not his name. Legion are the demons that this man has. And those demons give voice and define this man's identity. And whatever has bound this man, whatever has captured him and has caused him to forget who he is. This man has no identity beyond his demons. And he has been this way for so long that when Jesus asks him his name, he doesn't even remember. Can you imagine if you didn't have an identity beyond whatever it is that you wrestle with in the depths of your soul? Can you imagine if you didn't have an identity beyond that thing that you work so hard to keep suppressed from the whole world because you don't want them finding out. Can you imagine if you didn't have an identity? Beyond what you work and spend all of your time and energy thinking about and praying to God that no one will find out about you can you imagine that? 
I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what you've carried with you into the sanctuary this morning. I don't know what you're sitting with. It could be an addiction, I don't know, alcohol, porn, food, gambling, sex, your cell phone. You laugh, but it's the thing that you pick up so you don't have to feel any of the pain that you walk around with all the time. If you can just live there, then you don't have to live here. Sugar power, exercise, perfectionism. I don't know, it could be a mental illness. I don't know, depression, bipolar, self-harm, hoarding, victimhood. I don't know what it is for you. It could be that deep unhappiness that you wake up with every day and you don't want the world to know because you got all the things that the world tells you that you need to have to be happy and you still don't feel happy. You know what I'm talking about? You got the job and you got the car and you got the club membership and you got the house and you got the group of friends. And so what you do is you take the pictures and you post them on social media all the while trying to show people how good your life is how perfect your spouse is, how beautiful your kids are, how much you love your job, and you just tell the world it's right there. I love my life, I love my life. And all the while, you're not trying to convince the world, you're trying to convince yourself. I don't know what it is for you, but if I had to guess, I have named something this morning that has caused your stomach to jump and you said something to yourself like this don't let him know that I just felt that and if I didn't name your thing maybe you were sitting there going please God don't name my thing that's so close to it This is what I know. We all have something. We all have something. So when your uh, stomach jumps, or you find yourself praying, oh God, I hope he doesn't name my thing. My dear friends, please pay attention to that. Pay attention to that. Your body is trying to tell you something. I don't know what it is that you carried into this place. Whatever it is, can you imagine being chained to that for the rest of your life? Jesus, I mean, he's, it's a simple question. Hey, man, what's your name? And the man said, my name is Legion. He replied with his demon, not his name. And here's the miracle of the text for me. Jesus can see that this man's identity is beyond whatever demon this man may wrestle with. And so what Jesus does is return that man to his true identity as a child of God. 
as belonging to Christ. Is this text about uh, someone else? Or is it about all of us and the fact that Jesus restores the identity that we have all lost? Or maybe we just forgot it because of a mental illness or because of addiction or because we have now become too successful and we don't think we need anybody or anything for anything anymore. news of the gospel is that God shows up in our lives and frees us all. Frees us all to live into our identity. I've seen it. I've seen it in so many of you. I've certainly seen it on every corner of this globe with people that the world has forgotten and cast aside and said your lives are not worthy enough so I will dispose of you. I've certainly seen it there. I've seen it in our city. And I've seen it looking in the mirror. I've seen it in my life a thousand times. Why Jesus for me? Because in my life there are forces in this world. There are forces in this world that will try and take away my true identity. There are forces in this world that will try to convince me that I am something or someone else. And it's Christ who continually shows up on the shore of my life and frees me to live as I truly am. Did you happen to catch the guy's real name in our text today? Don't worry, you didn't miss it. It's not in there. We never know his name. We never find out what his real name is. I think that's intentional. Because his name is your name. His story is your story. His life is my life and your life. So that's why Jesus for me at 36... That's why Jesus for me in the year 2019. Why Jesus for you? Why Jesus for you? No matter how you answer that question, uh, Jesus' invitation is still the same to you. Go home to your family. Go home to your family. And tell them how much the Lord has done for you. And how the Lord has had mercy on you. Let us pray. God, thank you for the gift of this life. For long before we knew what love was, who you were, you reached out and claimed us as your own. We belong to you. Help us to live as though that were true. Amen.